Alec Campbell, what are you going to do without having to go to the arena for an entire week? Actually, more. It's two weeks. I mean, I'll miss the snack parfaits. <laughs> I'll miss the hightailing it from the studio to the game on weeknight games. Right. To uh, try to scramble to sit in my seat for first intermission. But fortunately, we've got back-to-back 10:30 West Coast games, so I'll be here in studio. I don't, I don't actually get the day off. I still That's have right. to I, do the show. Here. As I said that, I was actually forgetting that you still. But I mean, me too. I mean, I'm just going to be at home on the right. um, on the screened-in porch watching yeah, the games I mean, at night. So. In the end, I'm no different than any other diehard Canes fan, right? Everybody's going to be up watching the games late on the West Coast, right? Uh, but I've kind of view this this particular scenario almost like Thursday night football. If you play on Thursday night football, you almost get like a built-in buy because the Canes play 10:30 and 10:30 on Tuesday and Wednesday, and then they play at 10 o'clock on Friday, and then I have the whole weekend off, you and do. then they don't play for another. Like, they have six like five days. six days between yeah. games. It's so I mean I've got I've got mm-hmm. a tough week, but then I get a nice reprieve after that. Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday. Thursday, yeah, <laughs> and then they're home for a while, so that's good. Well, uh... and we, you know, the good news is, is that after, uh, and people won't care about this, but I'll say it anyways. But uh, we have after the the Thursday after the two ten thirty back to back games, we have a meeting here at work at ten o'clock a.m. So that's cool. We do have a meeting Thursday at ten o'clock. Yeah, I'm glad I heard about this. Mm. Uh, all right, well, and our sodium count will be lower. Because the True. snack parfaits are very high sodium. You, you need to just look at those differently. It's, it's electrolytes you're getting. Oh, okay. The salt provides you electrolytes. That's a good point. All right, let's let's uh, let's start this. This is the Canes Corner Podcast with host Adam Gold, part of the Capital Broadcasting Podcast Network. Now here's the host of the Canes Corner Podcast, Adam Gold. All right, this is episode five or six of the uh, Canes Corner Podcast this year. Alec Campbell, Adam Gold. Uh, we are five, one, and oh, how hard is it to erase the one of those of that five, one, and oh, since uh, that was essentially a hockey rock fight? Yeah, I'm actually, I actually was a little surprised at the downtrodden nature of the Hurricanes head coach Rod Brindamore and some of the players after mm-hmm. the game. And I think this goes to show you what we can and cannot see from the stands mm-hmm. because we like to challenge effort a lot of times. And I thought the effort was fine, yeah, to be honest with you. The problem. But I mean, Jordan Stahl made a comment about, you know, they didn't play hard enough. And, well, you know, the coach wasn't very happy with the game. And to be honest with you, like, to me, that was simply a scenario where Columbus figured out. The magic elixir that came up with a plan. John Tortorella Mm -hmm. came up with a game plan for the Hurricanes, and they executed it. And Carolina had a tough time penetrating the interior of the ice. They couldn't get to the blue paint very often. They struggled to get high danger chances. Shout out to Bill Peters. First game of the year where they didn't out high danger the other team. Right. And to me, that was ultimately the, 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 the issue in the game. And... I give most of the credit to Columbus for just playing a better game. I thought the Hurricanes fought for it. I just thought it was tough for them that game. Yeah, the the interesting, talking to uh, Rod and the players after the game, I, I, it wasn't, I think the word effort was probably either misused or misconstrued. I don't think they lacked effort in the game. I think in a, for Rod, I think it was more of a commitment 
to do to fight for what they needed to do. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, um, not getting to the front of the net. Right. Wasn't as much of that in this game as there was against the Islanders and other games. Uh, there was not a lot of traffic in front of Jonas Corposalo. And Carolina had been living with traffic in front of the net because you have to mm-hmm. with these uh, with the goaltenders in this league. Uh, so Corposalo saw a lot of shots. He sh- saw a lot of them clean. And therefore, Carolina, who had plenty of shots, had enough shots to score more than two goals, only scored two goals. Uh, and I think the, the, the all three goals, and this is really what bothered Brenda Moore and the team more than anything, all three goal, goals were gifted. There was a, uh, in the, I think it was on the power play. The first one, yeah. First one where it was just a simple backdoor, nobody there. Yeah. Well, they I can't allow that. On they, that particular play, it looked like Fogle was trailing. It wasn't a power play. There were, it was an even strength. Yeah, thing. Uh, Fogel was trailing the guy who uh, well, yeah. was Nudavara, who who eventually scored, and then he just left him. Yeah. So there was some kind of communication breakdown there, or misunderstanding of where you're supposed to be or what you're supposed to do. Because and he's a defenseman. If you let a defenseman get all the way, that's that's Warren Fogel's guy. So he should have stayed right. with that guy, right. and for whatever reason, he didn't. So for me, you know, I don't I don't look. Yeah, yes, it was in the end gifted because he was wide open and it was right. as easy a goal as you're going to score there. But that's not an effort issue to me. That's a not not it's a playing in the system, issue. right? Um, Aho um, let um, Oliver Bjorkstand come out of the corner with the puck and skate around and score. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that one that one was tough. Seabass definitely wants that sequence back. And he was upset afterwards he was. too. He was oh, very man. upset, but. You I know, wish you just could have seen his face. He was sitting right next to Jordan Stahl when I was talking to Jordan, and Aho was like, uh, he had, I had a Cam Newton quality about him after a loss. He just looked despondent right. about it. And then the McGinn turnover at the blue line right early in the third period. Right, but again, those to me, those to me aren't effort. Like I thought, I thought that Aho gave good effort trying to trail Bjorkstrand, but he got beat. He got I mean, beat. he got one-on-one beat by a mm-hmm. guy in the NHL. It happens uh, from time to time. Yeah. It's exacerbated at the moment because Ajo's not producing on the offensive side. So, But to me, you know, that happens from time to time. The McGinn thing, lazy. Lazy turnover. It's a lazy pass. I mean, it's a lazy right. pass that gets picked off. You can't do that. And then he uh, he so, fought all the way back down the ice. And he did, but he was, he was too far out of position yeah. to, to make up for it. And uh, um, Pierre-Luc Dubois held him off. Pretty Exactly. Str- great play by Dubois. It was a great move. Right. And he, he shielded him off mm-hmm. the way you're supposed to do it. So, yeah, I mean, look, it wasn't their best game, obviously, mm-hmm. right? But they're not going to win 82. It's unrealistic for that well, to be the case. Well, it can't happen now. And one of the things that I talked about after the game with John Forsland is, and actually with Rod before the game, because... His sentiment so far this year has been, we're winning when we're not playing our best hockey. Mm -hmm. And that's great. But the other side of that is that you can get lulled into believing, to getting away with things that you're not supposed to get away with, right? Mm -hmm. And in a way, if you want to spin this positively, it's, it's it's uh, it's a good check of yourself to lose. Like every once in a while... You got to have that that moment or that game that makes you look in the rearview mirror. You know, I I and I, I use that analogy because I've backed into people before because I can get lazy looking in my rearview mirrors when I'm driving, mm-hmm. right? Right. Well, you back into somebody and you're gonna start looking in your rearview mirrors for a little while, you know. 
And sometimes you need those checks of your game um, in order to kind of refocus. And I also look at the schedule they played to. You know, sometimes that willingness to get to those hard areas, as they say, you know, can become a, a, a product of the amount of hockey the guys have played. I mean, it's been, they've, they've been on a high. They've right. played, you know, five highly contested games because, remember, three of them were one in overtime. First three in overtime. Um, right. They had to come back a couple of times. So there's a lot of pressure. And then it becomes like a thing where it's like, okay, can you keep this going? Are you the best team you in know, the NHL? Yeah, are you the best team in the <laughs> NHL? All of these things that suddenly, you know, pile on top. And, you know, maybe after a while the fatigue sets in a little bit and you, you're unwilling to do the things that you're supposed to do. Yeah, look – the only alarming thing about the loss and the first six games, for me, is that Sebastian Ajo's only point is an empty net goal. Mm-hmm. Now, that doesn't mean he's played poorly, because, but it, he gets judged on being Sebastian Ajo. Like, nobody would complain if he were, I'll just use Jordan Martinook. Right. right? But... Aho is supposed to be at the head of the line when it comes to points and production. Mm-hmm. It hasn't been there. The, there have been more chances the last couple of games than there were the first few. Uh, but that, to me, is the only alarming thing, is that they need number 20 to be a top-line player. And right now, he hasn't been there. Uh, and then when you throw in the fact that he got beat out of the corner, right? Uh, by that's the, what I'm saying. That, that's that that exacerbates things, it. right. All of these things add up. So well, that's my only concern. And you know that people were talking about, uh, you know, can the empty netter spring him forward? I don't really see how that. I don't see that logic. <laughs> I mean, it's an empty it's, net goal. It's a hope. Like it's just a hope. I mean, Sebastian Ajo needs to beat goaltenders, right? Right. Like in order for him to feel. Like he's doing what he's supposed to do. What's the NHL record for empty net goals in a season? I mean, could you score forty goals uh, all in empty net situations? I mean, so Andre Svechnikov only has an empty netter That's so right. far this year too, and he leads the team in points. So <laughs> maybe there is something to be said uh, about that. All right, it. let's. Well, he's uh, an assist he's machine. He's tied for first in points. Because here's where I want to go. I want to talk a little bit about uh, Douglas Jonathan Hamilton Jr. Jr. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and I know this because I missed the uh, the second Columbus goal while looking this up. Right, but that also it, speaks to how quickly they scored um, after the Hurricanes. That was a kind of a backbreaker. Uh, the look, you understand what my timeline looks like because go while this whole thing was playing out with Justin Falk, I was of the mind that Falk overall better than Hamilton overall. Uh, and that I'd like to see the team keep both. Well, that didn't happen. So now every time Dougie Hamilton does something, my time is fine. I, it's, I'm kind of I'm amused by it at this point. Right. Um, it fills up with Dougie Hamilton scored a goal. You still think? I'm like, look, what we're seeing from Dougie Hamilton, and actually a uh, preview of uh, Tuesday night's uh, Stormwatch, uh, which you'll have an interview with Sebastian Ajo. Um, Ajo said it, that the, the real the real good thing about the way Dougie is playing is that he's playing two-way hockey better than he's ever played it. Mm-hmm. And that is the difference. The points were always going to be there with Dougie Hamilton, yeah. Douglas Jonathan Hamilton Jr. Well, he, I mean, he takes so many shots and he's got, I think at this point he's got the highest 
shot percentage of any Hurricanes defenseman in franchise history. Yeah, it's 21%. Or a go, uh, goal percentage, excuse me. 21 per- percentage. Yeah, t- uh, sh- sh- shooting percentage right. is what it is. Uh, yes, 21.1%. It's not not highest on the team. Uh, um, it is among goaltenders, but it is yeah. not highest among the team no, I'm just saying overall. in his but yes, it's, time as a Hurricanes defenseman, it's up at like it's, 24%. It's, re- it's remarkable. Um, but that to me is the difference in Hamilton's game is that they're using him on the penalty kill, and maybe that in and of itself has been what's good for Hamilton. Funny how that's been working the last couple of years, hasn't right? it, in terms of making guys defensive players. Teravine and Anaho right. uh, among them. So uh, I think a lot of there's so many good signs. The offense is great. I mean, um, what did uh, also Svechnikov you'll, you'll get this week? Svechnikov was like, uh, when he shoots it, I'm surprised when it doesn't go in. Yeah, at this at point. This, right. So to me, that's the difference in Hamilton is that on the defensive end, he's been great. Yeah, I agree with that. And again, the observations from the stands regarding effort are taken with a grain of salt. But, you know, I commented on this during the game the other day. And for me, it just seems like Dougie's moving his feet a little more. (laughs) You know, there's there's a little extra output on his end in terms of energy and effort, especially defensively, that I think is visible. Right now, like right. in time, you know, there were there were so many times over the past couple years where it always appeared that there was a lack of urgency for me, like guys retrieving a puck out of their own end as if no one was coming after it mm-hmm. from the other team. Right. And to me, I was always like, you have to just pretend like someone's coming for it every time. And Dougie appeared that way a lot last year. There were instances, especially early on. And we we later learned about some injuries that he had and stuff like that. Yeah, he had a hand injury last year, um, first half. That that I think you know maybe hampered him a little bit. But for me, he just looks like he's he looks like he's outputting more effort this year. And in terms of how the Justin Falk thing you know goes along, I think like on paper your point stands. But when you when you incorporate all of the the external factors like this now being you know, without Justin Falk here, how does that affect Dougie's mindset, right? The fact that he feels like he's, you know, it's it's his it's his spot now, right? Or it's his defense core or whatever. It's the responsibility. You know, and maybe so maybe that matters, right? Maybe it does matter. Yeah. Um so yeah, okay. You know, that it's I still think if you look on paper, you've got two great players in Justin Falk mm-hmm. and, and Dougie Hamilton. That makes sense that they would have been better. But now without Justin Falk, how does that affect what Dougie's doing? We're seeing that right now. And, I mean, he's been ridiculous so far. Here's the other thing about Hamilton that I don't want to overlook is the surroundings. So he play comes up in Boston. Uh, that's a harsh sports city, Mm -hmm. especially if things don't go well right away. And we see, uh, especially with defensemen, it takes some time to get used to playing in the NHL unless you are like a ridiculous, you know, Norris trophy talent, which, by the way, uh, I mean, at some point this year, if this continues, he's going to be in that discussion solely based on points, right? But he's playing well defensively. Uh, And then he goes to Calgary. Where, well, you think, well, smaller Western Canadian. No, man, that's... Hockey town. Right, they live for it. So, uh, and there were also a lot of things said about Dougie from those locker rooms upon exit. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them were anonymous. 
Um, but I'm sure that bothered him too. If what happened in the Washington series happened in one of those two markets, it would have been talked about incessantly over the summer. Um, we all re- we all remember the 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 play in Washington. He didn't want to take the hit from Alexander Ovechkin, right? But we're smart enough to not assign that to Dougie Hamilton for the rest of time. Right. And so we don't talk about it, and we shouldn't talk about it anymore. It's a moment in time. Let it go. Hope it doesn't happen again, but let it go and let the guy do his thing. And I do think that some people, I think you called it small pond. Yeah, that's right? what it is. He's a, he's a big Maybe, fish in a small pond. Some yeah. people operate better in that scenario. He's, right? I think you can tell. Then you go to the bench interview with Mike Maniscalco after which game was it? Was it the, uh, it was the Tampa game. Mm-hmm. And, all right, Tampa game? Uh, yeah, I believe was so. Was it the Tampa game? Whatever it was, whatever game it was. Um, when the uh, when the people were chanting his name, mm-hmm. and you could tell, you could tell that that got to Dougie. Yeah, he felt it. So I think but, there's a lot of factors, uh, even off the ice, that are playing into yeah. this. I and mean, we've talked about it, I think, in the last podcast, where Dougie's he's a different dude. He's mm-hmm. a different kind of cat. He's a quieter dude. You know, it's hard. Like sometimes it's hard to get him to open up because he's like right. even when he. Even his the volume of his voice is quiet. Oh, he is quiet, yeah. I mean, like, he's just not the outgoing, bombastic guy that other guys are. You know? And that's fine. Like, there's nothing wrong with being that kind of guy. Mm-hmm. But it just, it lends itself probably to this type of market more than other places. You know? So... I mean, I got I got nothing else to say about him except right. that he's been extremely good so far this year. It's been a breath of fresh air. I loved him when I first saw him last year in the preseason because he's so smooth offensively. Yeah. He can make things look effortless, and it's great when he's producing, but when he's not playing well, it looks lazy, but that's, that's just kind of the nature of his game, and... Fortunately, so far this year, he's taken a bigger step defensively, and that's been probably, you know, the goals are always great because that's what stands out. But the defensive nature of his game has taken another step, and that's probably even more appealing to us and the head coach. Let's, uh, before as we wrap up, Dougie, and then move on to your favorite player, um, the, the making it look effortless confuses people to thinking into thinking that there's no effort. Right. And I'll you can use a lot of other players in other in any sport. Like Daryl Strawberry used to be the smoothest. Mm-hmm. I mean, language strides and like man, would you just try hard? Meanwhile, he's faster than almost anybody on the field. It just looks right. like he's not expending a lot of energy cuz right. he doesn't have to to do that. Uh, and I think Hamilton is an effortless skater, and that's the difference between right. this team and other teams. And maybe that's the theme Man. of this podcast: is that you can't discern effort from the stands. Like, and this <laughs> this is what I've said right. forever. Yeah. Like, you show me a team that looks sluggish, and I'm going to show you a team that lost <laughs> almost every time. Right. Well, you show me a team that looks like mm-hmm. they're not giving effort. And I'm going to show you a team that just lost. So is it easier to discern effort or leadership from the stands? 
Oh my God! <laughs> I'm just, we don't need again. <laughs> it's the same. It's 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 causation it's same, correlation. Right, it's, it's, all, it's all that stuff is most of the time. That's my favorite. And it's, thing. It's, it's it's not that those things don't exist or right. they don't matter. It's just that it's just that discerning the uh, the amount of them or whatever, or how much they impacted a certain game or season or stretch of games or whatever is it's it's completely it's completely dependent on the outcome. Dougie Hamilton is shooting 21.1% on the season through six games. He is second on the team in shooting percentage two. Second on the team in shooting percentage to, um, I, don't, I don't know. Eric Holla. Oh, Eric Holla, yeah. How five am I, how goals, am I, how, how, shooting 27.8%. Yeah. yeah. I do want to point out that his goal against uh, Columbus Mm-hmm. If you add up the total distance from the goal line, which by the way, Dougie had a tertiary assist on, he did. And on, it should have been. He he almost he started the whole play, right? Um, but the uh, the total distance of Hollis' first four goals was about one third of the distance of the fifth goal because he was in the slot when he shot the puck. He was maybe five feet from the goal in his first four. Um, what is, what what have you liked the most about Hall? I mean, I just think in terms of an overall impact, he's been the most impactful. Dougie has been great, obviously scoring goals, and we've talked about his defense. But I think that when you think about the fact that Eric Halla adds a level of depth to the center position, he scores goals, he plays defensive hockey, and he wins a ton of faceoffs. Yeah. In terms of like a complete output of production he's been maybe the best player for for the whole season I think um and that's what I like about him and so I think he I think he alleviates things for Jordan Stahl sure I think he gives the coach options that the coach didn't have in the past especially as it pertains to face-offs you got to have a big face-off one and you're in a defensive zone situation you're in, you know, uh, an end of game situation. You're in an overtime. You know, Doug, uh, Eric, w- uh, when they, the last game they won in overtime, I believe against Tampa. Against Tampa, uh, Hollow won the opening faceoff in overtime. So you don't have to beat Jordan up. You no, don't have I'm to take I'm, every defensive right. Zone you don't have to beat right? him up. Hall has been better statistically in the faceoff circle. Uh, than Jordan. Had. I think he was actually just under forty percent last, or I think he was just under fifty percent last game. He's fifty-four percent, a little over fifty percent on the season. Jordan is a little under fifty, little over fifty-four percent of the season. Jordan Stahl is just under fifty-three uh, percent on the season. Lucas Walmark actually leads them. Right, and so like he fortifies that center position. I mean, that was that was the thing like I, I that I always go back to in the, in the past years. Like last year when you're looking at the center position, I mean, you've got at that time Aho who's playing his first year right. as a center. You got Victor Rask who we know what happened to him. Right. Lucas Walmark we didn't know about yet. And Jordan. So yeah, those but, were that those were your your guys down the middle. But even fast forward, Jordan Stahl missed 34 games last year. So, uh in the from like mm-hmm. the end of December until Jordan came back uh, at the, about the trade deadline, right at the trade deadline, uh, they went with essentially three rookies down the middle, right? Um, and Greg McKegg. <laughs> Those right. were their centers, yeah. Right, and man, people don't. I mean, 
one of the things that Rod will go back to last year and go, I don't know how that happened, is the fact that they did it with such inexperience down the middle yeah. without Jordan Stahl. And then you see what it did for Walmart. Lucas has become a really good defensive player too. He's not a a traditional four, you know four C in that he's not a grinder. He's not a banger. He's really a he he really profiles to be like a third center. So guy somebody who can add some offense. He was on the power play all last year, uh, but now you have him in the four spot, and you can see one of the reasons I think Halla has been so effective. Is that you've got Aho and Stahl essentially slotted ahead of him, right? So he for, plays for against... the time. Yeah, he's playing against, not playing against ones. Right. I mean, Aho played against the top line at Columbus all game and had to deal with that. Yeah. Do you think there's a chance that Rod may switch that up at some point if we if we keep seeing Aho struggle? I think like maybe where he, where he bumps or or do you just stick with a thing that's working? I think. I mean. Then it becomes a service of ice time. So if you're if you can't be afraid, it's actually one of the things that I talked to Rod at the end of last year. I said, "What do you? I mean, because we all know. I mean, Aho had the injury. Uh, we thought it was lower body, but it it did manifest. There were upper body issues too with Sebastian because he stopped taking faceoffs. Mm-hmm. I mean, they threw Brock McGinn in the circle uh, ahead of Sebastian Aho uh, plenty in the playoffs, early in the playoffs." Um, and one of the things I asked Rod, so you know, because I think Seabass went the last fourteen games of the regular season with no goals. Yeah. Right. Uh, so I said, "What do you need? What's the next step for him?" And he said, uh, "He asked, I have to be able to play him, or he has to be able to play against the other team's best players all the time." Yeah. And uh, I'm not saying that isn't the case. I think it's the case. Uh, he's off to a slow start now, but if if Ajo is going to be the top center and justify the 8.454 average annual value, he's got to be able to play 18 to 20 minutes, and it's got to be against top guys. Um, Not saying that Halla can't do that too. I think Halla's dynamite. Um, But I don't think Rod will change that up. I really don't. I mean, you got to get the most out of Ajo unless this persists for a long time, in which case... Yeah. Then you got to go about winning. I'm games. inclined to believe that he'll break through here oh, yeah. soon. I mean, remember a couple years ago, it took him, I think, 16 games to score his first goal. And, you know, at that point, he was in, I think, his second season, right? Or was he in his first season? His first, his first two full seasons, he, he went a yeah. long time without scoring goals. So, I mean, you know, you're. He had points, you're, but no goals. Now, it's not, it's not the same, I guess, but in terms of pressure. That you're putting on yourself, you know, maybe his pressure at that time was trying to stay on the team and right. be an impactful player on the team. And now he gets the contract, so he's he's in a in a way going through a similar situation, putting pressure on himself. So I still think that at some point he'll come through, mm-hmm. but you know, we we need him to do it soon. <laughs> oh, there, there's no question. Uh, again, he's got to take some pressure off Dougie Hamilton. Uh, somebody else has to do the scoring. Back right. to Eric Halla, because uh, you mentioned some of the other things that he does. Um, he didn't kill penalties in Vegas. So I, I now I want to go, why? Well, there you go again. Right? There's another guy I killing mean, he, penalties. He's been tremendous. Like, the Hurricanes' penalty kill isn't where Rod Brindamore wants it yet. No. But a couple of the power play goals they've allowed have been right off the draw. Mm-hmm. So, like, literally, face-off, two passes, goal. 
Um, it's hard to blame the penalty kill that much for that because it happens so quickly. Uh, I think their penalty kill is in pretty good shape. But, Rod, that's where you got to win those faceoffs yeah. to at least now you want to force them to enter the puck and set up. They didn't have to. Um, but Hall has, Hall has killed at both five-on-threes that Carolina has been dealing with. It was Halla. At the, Halla does that. Mm. And Stahl is a great option, but Hall is a little quicker. Yeah. And, you know, you just hope he holds up because that you've seen the scar. Oh, that, yeah. It's... That knee injury is gruesome. Yeah. Their penalty kill, remember last year, didn't start off very good. No. And it got better as the mm-hmm. season went along. And this year, I feel like we're seeing, I don't know, the power play, for whatever reason, has been really good so far. And John Forzen always says that you can't really make any glaring observations on special teams mm-hmm. for a while. Yeah, for you the need first at least month 10 or games. two. At least 10 games, right. Um, so I'm going to hold off on deciding that the power play is really good and the penalty kill is really bad. But I think what the one thing that they've done. And they've taken a fair amount of penalties. And I asked Rod about it the other day, about whether or not he's a little more okay with the guys towing the line aggressively um, and taking more penalties because of the fact that they've been able to to score enough to to mitigate it. Right. And, I mean, his answer was, honestly, he thinks that a lot of the penalties were chintzy. That was right. the word he used. How do you spell that? C-H-I-N-T-Z-Y, I learned. Thank you, Twitter. I appreciate you. Uh, Kane's Twitter is the best. Yeah, I love awesome. Kane's Twitter. Uh, everybody just ready to pounce all the time. Uh, but I learned something. Just keeping so us I, honest, man. So I appreciate that. That's all right. Um, so so he he's so. But I do wonder, you know, if if got if if it is a sign maybe of the confidence this team has that they're willing to to take a few more penalties than maybe they did in the past. They they've had two games so far. Where they've taken six penalties. Yeah, they took five penalties a couple of nights ago. I think. I think uh, they only got they only got to four or three on Saturday night against Columbus. Yeah, either, either two or three, right? So maybe was, they should have taken more penalties against yeah, Columbus. So so that was good. Um, but you know the the thing they've been able to do is is score, which I I think is another sort of emerging element of this season. Is the Hurricanes were averaging about four and a half goals per game through the first five, mm-hmm. which was good for I think sixth in the league. They were tied. Or sixth in the league in terms of goals per game, and you know if you're going to be able to do that, then you can afford to take more penalties. You can afford to give up more goals, right? Which is kind of a departure from the way this team <laughs> has played in the past. Like in the past, it's been make it a two-one game, make it a three-two mm-hmm. game. You know, get get really good goaltending because you have to have that. Um, but this year, maybe it's different. Maybe it's you know, we can score a ton of goals when we're down. We're confident we can come back. When we've when we're uh, when we give up leads, we can we mm-hmm. can get them back. Things like that. All right, final uh, final thing as we just kind of go through uh, players here at the start of the season. And again, the Hurricanes will be in action in L.A. on Tuesday, San Jose on Wednesday, and then Anaheim, which is essentially uh, kind of uh, low rent L.A. And uh, before, I mean, that's what, I mean, have you ever been to Anaheim? No. Nah, it's just, don't I've never been to that part of California. I was born in San Francisco. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Why didn't I know that? Yeah. Spent the first two glorious years of my life. Uh, You must have great memories. Um, Brett Pesci. There's a, like when we, when we, when we go back and we talk about this start 
And Pesci's got a couple of goals, but it isn't about the goals. Mm-hmm. Pesci has been, I mean, I think the the coaching staff looks at Pesci has, as, as having been their best defenseman mm-hmm. through six games. It's been amazing. And imagine that guy with Slavin and Hamilton and, you know, Gardner was brought in to be, you know, essentially the the replacement for Falk. Uh, and he's on a third pair. Um, the fact that Pesci has emerged as being this good yeah. is remarkable. Yeah, Brett's is the type of player that, I mean, he just doesn't show up on the stats the stat sheet all that much. I mean, he does enough. Got three but, points. But the uh, forty point pace. The, the, but you have to watch. Mm-hmm. Like the the beauty in Brett's game is more the positions that he puts himself in, the way he recovers, the way he uses his stick, the way he shields guys away from the puck. Mm-hmm. It's all of those things that make him sort of a. I mean, I hate to use unsung hero, but it's like it's not flashy. It's right? easy to forget him, right? and it's right. It's easy to forget him, and I'm not trying to call him like Calvin DeHaan, even though Calvin DeHaan was a really, you know, solid defensive defenseman. But he was, I think, a little more basic than Brett was. I think Calvin was a little more simple. Yeah, uh, and Brett is a little more nuanced in the way he he gets things done. But it's like it's one of the, he's one of those players that you have to watch him when he's away from the puck to really appreciate how he does his job. He doesn't hit. Right? He's not he's not a physical player too. He's not a hitter. He's he, he doesn't you know and he's obviously not a great finisher although I asked him about that the other day he's like, "Listen, I want to try to showcase that I can that I do have some kind of offensive upside." But it's like you have to you have to see how he gets to mm-hmm. to his uh to the positions that he gets in. To really understand like how good he is, which means you you can't watch the puck sometimes. He's a really smart player. Smart players have a way of understanding positioning and where they have to be and yeah. what's about to happen in front of you. Right, he anticipates so but well. One of uh, again, I draw another uh, analogy from another sport. Cal Ripken Jr. wasn't really a great defensive shortstop, but he was so smart that he had the ability to see what was going to happen mm-hmm. and then position himself accordingly. Yep. And it wasn't just that he played every game that had him leading the American League in uh, chances. It was the fact that he just knew where things were going to happen. So, like, why was he there? Well, because he saw it before it happened. Right. And that is that is an... It's an unteachable thing. And I'm not saying that he's that Brett Pesci is Cal Ripken, but I think Pesci has a, a knack for anticipating what's going to happen. Uh, he's just a really smart player, and he's athletic. He's a very good athlete. Yeah, I mean, I think they're, that, that applies to all for sports. For a Yankee fan. Yeah, well, true. And things are getting things are getting hairy in that series. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's true for every sport, though. Like I think it's instinctively along the way you learn the things that make you the most effective. Yeah. And some guys are able to make up for stuff via their athleticism, and some guys have to be anticipatory about things. They've got to be more students of the game than they are athletes. And Brett's obviously a professional hockey player at the highest mm-hmm. level, so you have to be a certain baseline of athleticism has to be there for you. But he's just... He's just you're right. He 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 sees the play before it happens and that that helps him whereas, you know, maybe somebody else, 
you know, can make up for it in speed or power or physicality or whatever. You know, and th- that's not really necessarily the game that he plays. All right. Finally, um, how will you stay awake all the way through the aftermath? Oh, coffee. Lots of coffee. We have a tremendous coffee machine here at the station. So, and be... will you do an IV drip or? No, or you know, or the one thing that I have that I will do maybe because there's a there's a Starbucks right up the road. I'll go and get one of those red eyes. Oh, okay. Which is essentially coffee with espresso. Yeah, depth charge. Right, we call exactly. them depth charges. Right, with a depth charge yes, or two. Solid. And that usually does. You know trick. what else also works? The uh, those cans of triple shot. Yeah. I needed that Saturday. I, I like those <laughs> if I can find the ones that aren't sweet because some of them I feel like are too sweet. Oh, for I me. didn't mind that it was sweet. I was okay with that. Uh, but you do have to like you do have to time things out because I'm a regular coffee drinker, right? right. As are you. Yes. So don't don't drink coffee during the day, and then boom. Right. You don't you don't want to you don't want your body to get used to it. You want to get that charge when you need the charge. So I usually drink a cup to two cups in the morning. Mm-hmm. You know, if I'm if I'm really sluggish in the afternoon, then I'll 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 give in. But typically, I try to stay away from the water. afternoon cup of coffee. Drink a bunch of water. Just drink the a day. bunch of water, yep. and then when I get here into the station, in fact, you know, I'll have a chance to go home after we get done with our show, eat some dinner. I can probably brew some coffee when I'm there, and bring it with me. You could, and I'll be good to go. So yeah, the harder part. The harder part actually in that scenario, is going to sleep. That that becomes- I've the, never had a problem. The caffeine does not keep me awake. No, it's not necessarily If I want to go to sleep. Like, for me, after games, after post-game shows, it takes me an hour at, at least, mm-hmm. usually more, usually 90 seconds to wind down. That's the John Forslund effect. So, maybe. He's very excitable. Well, so I go home typically and- I'm up for another 90 minutes. So the problem for me is going to be when we get off the air, which is going to be, let's see, 10.30, 11.30, 12.30, 1 o'clock, end of game, Storm uh, aftermath is done by 1.45. I'm home by 2.15. I'm not in bed until 3.30. Ooh. You know? Well, it's going to be pretty similar for me. Um, we'll have, uh, I'll have some other duties after the game. Um, but I do think it's the John Forzen effect. He has that. I mean, I get excited every time I'm around He's John. He's a perfect human. He is. Um, he has great hair and fancy dance moves. <laughs> which is interesting. All the uh, like the, the new personnel around the uh, the building were like experiencing that. Like yeah. John's a pretty snappy dancer. Yeah. All right. Uh, have a good uh, have a good week. I'll talk to you at the first intermission for uh, for all of these games. It'll be fun. Can't wait. You've been listening to the Canes Corner Podcast with Adam Gold. Don't forget there are many ways you can listen to this podcast, including streaming at WRALsportsfan.com, the WRAL Sports Fan app. And you can also subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Pocket Casts, and TuneIn. Thanks again for listening to the Canes Corner Podcast.